The World Class Community Show is designed to bring you the latest talks on community building. Join our host and his guests ranging from leaders at global enterprises to niche underground community builders. In these episodes, they discuss the creation, the importance, the future, and much more about community building. If you're ready to learn the depths of attracting and engaging crowds around your brand, then make sure to tune in. Welcome to the World Class Community Show, where we invite expert community builders to share their experiences, knowledge, and expertise they've built up through the years. Today, I have a great guest. His, her name is Vela Wendels. She works as a fashion journalist covering fashion phenomena. Being in the fashion industry for over 30 years, Vela has created a big following through fashion shows, writing books, and teaching. Accompanying fashion professionals in Milan, Paris, London, New York, and more, Vela is an icon in the fashion community. Today, we invite her to reflect how fashion and communities are intertwined and how the current industry has changed over the years. So welcome, Vela, and thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so we open every uh, podcast with the same question, and that's to, uh, to get to know you a little bit better. And basically, that is, what community are you a part of that's unique? I think I'm I'm uh, part of a lot of communities that may be unique um, in a way. Of course, I'm part of a community of fashion journalists um, online that will be through LinkedIn. Um, as I also often teach um, costume history, I'm part of a community that is called as such uh, a well, actually a group of of of, um, of costume historians. Uh, but maybe the most unique group that I'm part of, the community, it's the Orde van de Prinsen. And it has nothing to do with Carnival, but it, it's like this group of, of very um, intelligent people um, promoting the use of Dutch and the Dutch culture and the Dutch language. And we come together uh, every, let's say, third Thursday uh, of the month, and we have conversations on history, on language, on literature, and um, it really makes my day if I can go there and chat with these people. They are all ages, they come from all parts of society, and I just love being part of, of that particular community. Wow, that sounds great. That's exactly the type of community you are looking for. Okay. <laughs> so let's dig a little bit deeper. In 1993, you started your own company focusing on fashion journalism. Uh, what gave you the incentive to uh, start your own, your own company after being a journalist in the Morgen? And basically, where did your whole passion for fashion come from? Um, I should say that my mother was uh, an entrepreneur. She had her own shoe store. And um, I think we've always seen our mother um, worked very hard. And uh, my dad was an engineer, a nuclear engineer, and he worked his hours, his very specific hours, and then came home and helped my mom in the shoe store, which was kind of interesting to see how um, their relationship and uh, developed and, and how we were uh, getting to know the world of entrepreneurship. Both my brother and I, we have our own companies. He's into coffee. Uh, and I'm into fashion. Now, the fashion thing, I mean, I could have been into architecture or literature because I'm a major in American literature at the University of Ghent. And I, I just I wanted to be an English teacher, 
which never happened. And I'm very happy it never happened. Uh, and the fashion part actually comes from the fact that my editor-in-chief at the Morgen at the time asked me, uh, would you like to cover fashion for us uh, after I, I worked there for about a year? And I was thinking, fashion, oh my God. And he said, uh, if you say yes, then you can go to Paris next week. So I thought, okay, I, I, I really want to go to Paris and, and, and maybe see the world, which is exactly what, what has happened uh, that these last few years, uh, 30 years in all, um, if I'm more specific. Um, the fact that I ventured out on my own in 93 has to do with the fact that I worked too hard uh, for the pay I got. It was something that I, I considered very early on in my career. I had been a journalist for four or five years. And uh, I just thought, you know, we had shifts on Sunday. We had late night shifts, which, which was all very attractive and lots of fun. I mean, we were a small group of, of journalists at the Morgen. So there was always someone to, to have a drink with in the end, in the evening after work and things like that. It was, it was lots of fun. But I had the impression that I worked very hard for little pay. And I wanted to do um, lots of things. I didn't want to, I'm, 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 I, I'm still a journalist and I still have my fashion, you know, world, but I'm much more than that. I like teaching, I write books, I do so much more. I, I do tours with people um, in, in, in cities around the world. And it's something I would never have been able to, to have done uh, as a, as, a, as, a, as a regular journalist working for a newspaper. Um, now I'm free and it's also something that I really want. I want to be free and build my own brand in a way. Okay, wow, that's passionate. And yeah, you, you mentioned that you wrote several books. Um, let's go to one of your first books. I think it's the first one where you interviewed 10 young fashion designers trying to break into the fashion industry. What was the motive? Uh, behind the book? Well, when I started out, that was October 88, and I went to Paris, as I said, I was able to go to Paris, so I did go to Paris, and it was the start of the Antwerp 6, so the the designers we all know, uh, Walter van Berendonk, Anne de Meulemeester, Dries van Noten, and of course there was a, a seventh one who's, who became so, so important and, and well-known all around the world, called Marta Margiela. And um, for years on end afterwards, everybody was always talking about these six of Antwerp as if there was no one else who uh, who started out in the business afterwards. And I just thought, um, I mean, we all we always refer to these six of Antwerp who who started out in the 80s. And I mean, we were we were the 90s and nobody talked about the new ones. And I thought, let's just go and, and see where are the new ones and who are these people and and can we can I make a list of them and are they interesting and it was very hard for me to find not to find 10 but to actually choose 10 because there was a bunch of people out there newcomers and and very artistic very passionate people about the job and I I just thought okay let's let me make a list and have like real conversations at home in their or in their in their workshop and see who they are and just it was it was also in the beginning of my of my book i i, I wrote a, a small entry saying that i really wanted to show people that you always have to you 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 have to take into account the past to understand today but you also have to always check out the newcomers and see 
who who is passionate today and who is young and dynamic and what can I learn from them? And that was really the idea for the book, which was published also in English. I'm very happy for that, that that happened. And uh, it was sold out. I mean, you can hardly find it anymore. Um, and I'm very happy. I mean, I was through the book. That's also quite interesting. Through the book, I, I was actually invited to New York to go to the um, the Flams Huis in New York, like the Flemish community out there. Um, and they invited me to talk about uh, Belgian fashion. Um, well, it actually had to be about Flemish fashion, but that's, <laughs> of course, our stupid way of thinking. Uh, <laughs> And I got to see people in New York who came to me with the book and, and asking me, can you, you know, have your autograph in there? And, and I was fascinated to see that a book really travels around the world when it's, well, it's written in another language besides our, our, our Dutch. And um, that was interesting. It also got me to uh, Japan to talk about the fashion business here in Belgium and, and to Paris. Uh, I was invited as well. And so it, the, the book really, uh, I can say it launched in a way my career, and and that was fascinating to see how how that went quite quickly. Do you still have contact with these ten designers or with some oh, yeah. of them? Oh yeah, Raf Simons is is one of the the, oh. the major ones. I think uh, he uh, well he at that time he had his own small collection of menswear, and then at one point he was invited to uh, to. Um, to Gilles Sander, then went on to Dior and then to Calvin Klein. And I mean, he's working with uh, Mucia Prada today and he's like the, the hotshot designer. So I'm very happy that he's, he was the one who really was, was uh, one of the 10 of, in my book. And there's other ones. I mean, uh, there's Olivier Teiskens, who's on his own again, but he designed Rocha. He uh, designed Nina Ricci. And I think some of them have never forgotten that maybe I was the first one to talk about them. And now, I mean, they, they make millions of dollars, but, but, and they are, you know, listed everywhere and, and listened to by, by important people and, and in the business. But I had them in my book. <laughs> so that's you help them launch their careers, maybe a little bit. Just a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a lot of interest. You told me the the, the language, uh, arts, architecture, fashion, food. Um, how do you stay attentive and so engaged in all these different communities? How do you manage your time, actually? Um, well, my work is my life. It's not. It's not something that is. Um, it's it's not a nine to five job. I think if you really want to do this uh, and you really want to do this profoundly and, and in a passionate way, um, which I think is the only way to do it, then it's 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 your life. I mean, um, I possibly gave up on two marriages for this, but but I mean, I have two wonderful kids and they know when mom is working and she says, not now, it's not now. And then afterwards, I will I will just. Uh, you know, make the lasagna or uh, have fun with them. Um, I think you can only do it if if you if you are if you just go for for your aim. I had an aim. I really wanted to see the world and uh, meet have have beauty around me. I mean, I was Flor in Florence last weekend doing a tour with with twelve people, and I just when we started out, I just said. I want a life with beauty and I hope we can show you beauty this, this weekend in Florence. And that's, that's what was, what happened really. 
Um, that's also the reason I, I um, when I started out on my own, that I really made, um, let's say, questions for myself all the time. I made lists all the time of people whom I found fascinating, uh, people whom I found passionate. And uh, that's, that's how I... Um, I just worked on a daily basis and it's still today when I see some something and I read something online, it can be on Instagram, it can be on LinkedIn and I just see something and I think, wow, I really have to do something with this. So I write it down. That's how it works basically. Okay. So it's just 24 hours a day, seven days in a week. It's nonstop actually being aware of this beauty and being aware of these arts. Yeah, but the, I mean, today even uh, the weather was good. So I worked in my garden for an hour and huh. and then I'm thinking I have two deadlines tomorrow, but I still worked in my garden and I was just thinking and I can think of a maybe an introduction. I, th I can think of people who I have to to talk to or interview for this one particular story. And it's just it's it never stops in my head. And. Well, that, it's probably not easy to live with me, I think, because I'm always in my head. I mean, there's always like this idea for another story or another trip or and this it gives me so much. Um, how should I say it? it? There's always hope for a better story or a new story or a new uh, trip that I can make. I'm, I mean, today I'm dreaming of Helsinki. I was there once and I want to do a tour with people there. And so I'm reading about Helsinki. I was in Florence. I was reading about Michelangelo last week. I mean, life can be beautiful for me if I if I know that I can read about these people and get into their heads. And and just to know if you start reading, you know that you don't know anything because there's always <laughs> more to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So wow, be beautiful story, Ville. Um, so let's dig a bit deeper in the current fashion industry. So we've seen a huge shift lately in high fashion, what brands are coming, uh, which brands are winning right now, in your opinion? It's a very difficult question because it's a very volatile world. Um, what I have seen, uh, these, let's, let's just go back to 15 years ago, there was a, a, a big difference between, uh, say, very high-end uh, couture brands the Versace and the Armani and the Balenciaga and the Balmain of this world, and let's say streetwear. And what I've seen happening over the years is that these two worlds have come together and have collided and have um, have um, interfered with one another. Also, they were their way of working. I mean, the fact that Supreme has a drop on Thursday, for instance, that's very interesting. And and and. I'm sure of it that it absolutely gives ideas to these couture brands uh, who have taken a lot of uh, of the ways of working of these um of these streetwear brands. So that's something that's important. I think that the both worlds have collided, have come together and uh, sometimes work together. I mean collapse happen all the time. So that's something for me that has been a major shift um if I look at the world from a very the fashion world, I mean, from a, from a, from a, from a distance. If you dig deeper, what I see happening is that you, in fact, um, for young girls and, and young guys, I mean, younger communities looking at the fashion world, they see, they see it all. I mean, for them, there's, it's just this one 
show, this one theatrical show, which is going on on, on Instagram. I mean, the Met just happened uh, last night. So, I mean, the, 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 the big party at the Metropolitan Museum in, in, uh, in New York, and you see all these gowns, all these beautiful influencers with these couture gowns passing by. And if you see how many young young women and, and, and even, even teenagers tap into that part of culture to see high-end brands, Prada, Balenciaga, uh, Versace on that red carpet and maybe dream of just buying a lipstick. So that's, for me, it's quite new that these big brands, big couture brands um, are very attractive for young communities, for young girls, for young men. Um, that's also quite new in a way. I mean, the time is, I mean, there was a time when, when you said uh, Balenciaga or Balmain or Saint Laurent, people were thinking of uh, manicured uh, women in the streets of Paris or London, you know, whereas now uh, a, a young woman can dream of a jeans or a t-shirt designed by uh, Maria Grazia Curie for Christian Dior. So these, for me, these fashion brands, they are, well, they are everywhere. And this younger community is tapping into them and, and really loves everything they do. At the same time, you have brands that are into ecology, that are into sustainability. And there's a, a part of, of the public that really wants that. There's a part of, 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 uh, of the, of, let's say, even, even older communities, but especially younger communities that, uh, really want that. So they look out for brands that are maybe not that big, that are startups, that are small, that I, um, that I see coming, um, in Ghent, in Brussels, in Antwerp. It's, it's small brands, but they work quite well. And I see these I, I really like the idea of having like these two, I mean, you can be big, you can be small and, and still have a voice. I mean, even these small startups have a voice and use it because they can use it on social media every day and, and, and go worldwide through that, um, that, I mean, through uh, social media. So for me, I think, um, winning, you, you win when you have a true story, when you don't lie, when you, um, when you know that there's a client out there, whether you call it an ambassador or just a client or whatever, and that you really know that this can be a relationship for life. So not just selling a product, but selling a story and selling companionship and uh, selling the idea that you can be part of a club. And I think uh, the brands that do that today can win. And, um, and I'm thinking Gucci and I'm thinking Saint Laurent, but for different reasons. I mean, you can be Gucci because you like the whole philosophy or the poetry behind the create, the creative director. Um, I'm, I was in the Gucci museum in Florence and there was, there were so many things there, different things that I thought, wow, this is such a good story. It's a great story. And you don't even have to buy. Um, you can just tap into the brand because you read them online and you, I mean, maybe you buy a lipstick or a perfume, but you're still part of that, of that brand. Um, so it, it's very difficult to say now, these are the ones that do well because the, the numbers, of course, say something. 
if you see that Chanel is is doing so great, um, or Vuitton is, I mean, people line up in front of the store every day, uh, so they are doing well. Uh, but does that mean that they have a real story to tell? I mean, some do, others don't. It's interesting to see how that works and how that will continue working in the future. Yeah, we have also seen a, a bit of trends of these fashion brands working together with other communities like Balenciaga and The Simpsons. Uh, we've discussed it before. What do you think about these collabs? I love them. And I, what, I, what I truly love is when you um, cross borders. I mean, you would think that The Simpsons and Balenciaga are two entirely different worlds. When you see that the, the video, when you see the collab happening, you just see that it's one world. It's a world of humor. It's a world of not taking yourself too seriously. It's about fashion. And in a way, it's not about fashion. It's, it's, there's, there's so much fun there. And I, I just loved watch, watching that video. And I think also, um, it's a thing of David versus Goliath. Uh, you would think, um, that uh, a designer like Demnag Vesalia, who actually wrote the letter to the boss of, 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 of the, the guy who writes The Simpsons, uh, you, you would never, you would never, never think that that he will reply or that he will take into account a kind of you know relationship whatsoever, let alone a, a, a collab. And it happens. So that's also something that I learned from there. You have to. Just try it. You have to try it and feel confident enough to just write to the Pope or to the President of the United States. You know, it, it can happen. You don't know. So for me, that's interesting. And also um, the fact that, I mean, Supreme working together with Vuitton was a, was a thing or, or so many artists working with couture brands, artists that nobody knows. Um, it's, it's, it can be interesting to see how different worlds come together and um, it's interesting for both parties because they get to know a new audience. Uh, it's interesting just for the mind, the mindset, for your own culture, digging into a new brand, digging into another community or a new culture. That's one thing. But it's also, I mean, it can get you more turnover in the end. It gets you a new audience. It gets you new people. And I think that's also interesting. It's, uh, of course, something that, the big brands know they they know the numbers and they they follow the numbers. But for an artist, it's interesting. So I think I I love artistic collapse, and I think we owe a lot uh, to Karl Lagerfeld, who was the first one. You know, Karl Lagerfeld at the time, the hotshot designer for Chanel, he was the first one to start a collab with H and M Group in Sweden. Who would think that a a, a Chanel guy would would work together with H and M? I mean, nobody thought that that would work. And he was the first one. He said, yes, they probably gave him a lot of money. I don't know. It was never told and uh, we don't know it. But I mean, it was a start of a, of, of a world of collapse everywhere in, in several domains. And I, I really love that. I think it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to see also how um, you, 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 you try to, get people around you who don't always say yes. You need people who say no to you to just develop and, and go further. And I, I think with, with H&M and Karl Lagerfeld, that happened, definitely. 
<laughs> I can imagine the first conversations. <laughs> Maybe some ignoring was in place in the beginning. Um, Possibly. Yeah, I, I remember always um, some of my favorite collabs were uh, between BMW and Kit, for example, or between Palace and, and Stella. Uh, and these were these are just popping up all the time. Streetwear brands have been doing it for a while now, but seeing yeah. these couture brands doing it, um, I really love it. Um, and the last episode we had um, we had Tim Doif, and he's he's like an expert in, in streaming and gaming. And it reminds me of Balenciaga doing a collection with Fortnite. Um, Absolutely. And they also offered the skins in the game. So they offered the Balenciaga skins in the game, and that brings us a little bit to the metaverse. And yep. one of my, my next themes I would like to discuss with you is where is it heading all now? Because we've seen the rise of NFTs, we've seen the rise of, uh, of the metaverse. Uh, is fashion going that direction now? Well, it's one pillar of, of what's going on. I mean, uh, I think the physical store is uh, and online is like the major part of what the turnover can be for a brand. But I think that the whole metaverse and the whole um quite interesting thing that the world around that and and the fantastic world around that is could be uh become in time a, a, a well a big part of the turnover for each company i think if you do that well and it's a way of tapping into a younger community getting younger people involved in your brand seeing it from a different perspective not through the gilded chairs on a couture show for instance which how we got to know the brands. Uh, but I mean, isn't it wonderful that you can go online and, and, and get into a world and just dive into it and have fun with it and then maybe buy something, maybe wait for a while. And, and I mean, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I, I know that for most companies right now in the fashion world, um, if they attract new people, if the, if they if they are if they have have openings for jobs, they take digital people. They take on uh, digital people who are thinking out of the box, which of course is something you cannot say anymore today because it's become so mainstream. But it's still <laughs> a way of, of saying what I want to say. There's nobody and, in the box anymore. <laughs> there's nobody in the box anymore, right? So they think. I mean, there used to be. It's it's interesting. I mean, there used to be a time when you needed the salespeople and, you you know, you needed marketeers and, and now there's so much more. I think you need to be just very open and very alert for, for what is happening today. And, and you can easily make mistakes uh, by making the wrong jokes and by uh, putting out the wrong campaigns out there. But you have to be alert on what's going on in the world. And I think um, that can be the war in Ukraine, that can be a presidency going wrong, that can be anything. You need to, you need to play. And, and I think that's important that you, we still need to play on a daily basis. But in our mind, we need to know what's going on in the world. So it's, it's a combination of, of, of playfulness and of being very serious about what you're doing. And um, through this this new approach the nfts or the metaverse and it's so playful and it's going to be so much fun and i i read about uh, how the um what the, the fashion week in metaverse was going through decentraland and and i i read about it and there were a lot of problems uh things that didn't work the way they wanted it but they had fun and i mean a lot of people 
just were there and were saying, Jesus, this is like, this is what could be the future. And I think we need to be part of the future. Uh, and we certainly cannot just say, oh, well, uh, it was better before. No, let's <laughs> not go there. Let's just go for it and, and see what, what where it takes us. I think it's also good to, um, if you have these self-standing big brands like Hermes, for instance, I, I read that they are already uh, engaging in a, in, a, in a lawsuit because there was this one artist in Los Angeles who who took out his, well, who, who, who was drawing four uh, NFTs of bags, Hermes bags, but he, he, you know, he painted them and, and it's his bags. And Hermes says they are their bags. So it's funny to see how, how that will work out. And, and, and I think it's, it's great that that is happening. So I believe in metaverse. Yes. Will it be an immediate uh, success? I don't know, but I think that every brand should do something with it. You can be, I mean, you can do so many things there. Yeah. Is it all about being relevant and staying relevant as a brand? Because everything is moving so fast that you can lose your yeah, audience you so fast. You have to stay true to yourself. Who are you? Who do you want to be? I mean, you can ask that on, on, on a personal level. I asked that many times throughout my, my career. I'm not a fashionista. Uh, I, I, I don't want to buy clothes all the time. Uh, who do I want to be? What kind of stories do I want to write? Where, what am I good at? Um, and I think for every brand, the questions are the same. What is our, what are we good at? What is our unique selling proposition? And, and I mean, how do we tackle this world today? And how do we make fun? I mean, because that's also a, a big thing um, for me, at least. Is this something uh, non-fashion companies can, can look up to and, and learn from and try to implement these same, same tactics of staying playful? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think that it's, it's, um, the, the community part, the community building is something that is so important. I mean, I, I often come in companies, I've, I've visited so many companies over the years and I have, a, a, an interview with the CEO or with the, the, the sales director. And then I see the way they go through the workshop and say hi to the people that work there. And you immediately see that there's like this change in level. I mean, they are there and the workers are here. And I think that one thing that a, um, um, a brand can learn from is that in a, in a startup, you start up and you have fun in a way. Sometimes it's friends that start up. Sometimes it's, I mean, people just having, following their passion and going for this one thing that they've been thinking about for a very long time. And now they are going to do it. Um, I think everybody can learn from, from, from that. And, and just your people, the people that work with you can be, before you even have a community can be your ambassadors. So you should be nice to the people. You should, um, make them want to come to work and have fun and, and just work very hard, but also play hard. And I'm not saying that you need to make a cult out of your brand or your company. Uh, you have to give people the opportunity to have a private life. Um, I think more than ever, that's something, the work and life balance. But, you know, 
I, I'm a bad example maybe of that, but um, uh, I think it's important to, to, to have that. And whether you're selling pasta or you're selling bracelets, it doesn't really, it's, it doesn't make a difference. It's something that um, you, you just have to know that you're, when you're selling something, you're selling a world, you're selling a story. It has to be true. It has to be, yeah, as you said, relevant. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the fashion business or you're selling bikes or you're selling, I mean, and it should be nice, of course. It should be interesting. It should be, it should have a good design. And for me, having a good design also means that it is sustainable. I mean, sustainable should be part of everything you do in everything you do. I mean, not just in making your brand, uh, your product, I mean. It's so much more. Um, I think we can all learn from from young companies, and and I'm I'm sure that even older companies, and I know that because you know that all the big couture brands they um, they are very interested in all the the young fashion design prizes that are organized worldwide. They sponsor them. They give sponsorships. They are part of the juries. And you know why they are part of the juries because they want to see the young talent and just pick it up and learn from it. So I, you see that very clearly in the fashion business. And I think, I mean, whether you're Abe Inbef or your Facebook or whatever, you can, you can, I should say meta, but uh, <laughs> you, can, you can learn from, from, from young people. Um, and, and maybe because they are not used to doing it on a regular basis, they just started out and they make mistakes but even mistakes can can lead to one way of doing things differently. I think, at least. Very wise words, Philly. So, is there one more thing you would uh, want people to take away from this episode that you would like to share with the world? Be true to yourself. Never try to be anything else. Um, um, I mean. I do a lot of conferences with, with women and with even sometimes men in the audience. And I'm always, I mean, I can talk about trends and I can talk about fashion history or costume history, whatever. And, uh, or well, trends as such, I mean, this is this color and this is the suit you have to wear now. And, and then I see the people in the audience just sitting there and then I think, no, 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 this is not a way of putting it. You have to wear what you want, what you feel good at when you, Look in the mirror that you just say, this is me. This is who I am. I feel strong. Uh, I can tackle the world and, and the problems that come on an everyday daily basis. It's uh, just like that. So I think staying true to yourself and knowing what you can do well and, and just um, surrounding yourself with, with people that do, it, do some things better than you do them and, and surround yourself with people who say no to you or just don't like what you're doing and maybe... Together, you can come up with a better solution and a better product in the end, which is everything we want, right? Um, yeah. Amazing. We have one last question that we always ask to every guest. So if you are hired yeah. by a, a startup or a brand, maybe a fashion brand that nobody knows right now, what would you do to create a community in, in less than 30 days? What would be your, like your first steps? Well, I saw I saw the the list of questions, and I I really think it's a very difficult thing. <laughs> um, 
I really think it's a difficult thing. What I just said about being nice to the people around you would be would be good because your community starts really close to you. Your community starts with the first person you hire. And so I think you you have to try to make ambassadors out of your the people you hire so those people can start talking when the when they go I mean go out, go to a restaurant and they can start talking about the brand or the product that you're selling or the thing that you do um, without really being paid to talk about it. I mean, it's, wouldn't that be something? Um, I think your personnel is your ambassador and I would start there. And then I think I would, um, I don't know, I would um, work with all kinds of ages as ambassadors, as extra ambassadors. I would, I would teach and not just to the choir, but to other people who have other opinions. I would try, of course, using social media and um, using social media on, on different levels. I think LinkedIn is different from Instagram. We all know that, but uh, even LinkedIn for me is quite important right now. So I think you should use all these means to get to your goal. Yeah. What I also want to add, and I think what you see happening now, if you see how fashion taps into Netflix and does things with streaming platforms, they build completely new small collections um, from, from series that are uh, on these platforms. So you can, you can go very far. You don't have to limit yourself. I wouldn't limit myself. But for that, of course, you need a very global view on things and you need to know what is going on. Um, again, without barriers. I mean, I, I think if I would build a brand um, and if I would think of, for instance, influencers, I would go much further than the usual ones now. I would go for intelligent people who maybe have less uh, followers, but who are relevant and have their own opinion, who are in a way opinionated. That can, could be a help. But I think it's a difficult question, Niels. I'm very <laughs> sorry. I need more time to think about that one. <laughs> Your answer was already great. So thank you very much, Verle, for this a very interesting talk. I am always fascinated by your experience in fashion um, and how much this world is um, evolving and moving and, and uh, how it's creating its own worlds, as you said. Um, I really, I really like it a lot. Um, so I would love to thank you for our conversation. I hope you can find many more beautiful spots in the world and beautiful experiences. And I hope we'll talk soon. Thank Super. Thank you for having me again. And let's talk later. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the World Class Community Show. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to our channel on your preferred podcast platform. Looking forward to inspire you again on the next show.